from my brother's kitchen. I'm Amanda Suarez, and this is First Generation. Just introduce yourself, your name, your background, what you're up to, all that. Okay, my name is Aviva Sencio. Um, I'm 25 years old. Wait, I just turned 26 today. Yay! <laughs> oh my god, I thought you were super young. I thought you were like 21, 22. I and I don't feel so wish. I freaking wish. You're what, 91, 92? 92. Okay, still a baby. I wish. Everyone thinks I'm a baby and I'm like, man, I'm a vieja, yo. You're gonna love that like... when you are a vieja. <laughs> my tia used to tell me when I turned 23, she was like, ya tu no eres chamaquita. I'm like, yeah, I'm a chamaquita. She's like, no, yeah, no. Chamaquita for life. Leave me the podcast. For on. real. Um, I do documentary work. Documentary photojournalism is what I like to call it as well. Even though I don't write, I just want the pictures to speak for themselves. Which in a way, I, I feel like it's like visual writing. Yes, there we go. It's so similar. I think that's a new... Let's use that. Visual write, uh, documentary photo... You're a visual writer. Visual, visual writer. Yeah, somewhere. We're going to have the <laughs> rebranding like kale. That's it. Do you um, remember when kale... Did you ever have a Pizza Hut buffet up here? Yes, we did. You don't... It, did you ever go to Pizza Hut buffet? Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember like the shit that decorated the actual buffet? The green stuff? Yeah. That was kale. That's funny. And now kale is like Eatable. the superfood that people think has magic powers. <laughs> so I am on this mission to rebrand myself like Kale did. I like that. I like, like that Like from saying. Pizza Hut Buffet to fucking wellness cafes. I like that. I didn't even know that, but that's so funny. <laughs> I forgot the other question. Uh, yes. So, or your background, or I guess like where your parents are from, their, your sort of story with that. Okay, cool. My mom was a Dominican woman. My biological dad is a Salvadorian man. I don't know him. I was He did raise me for two years, and then my mom moved to America. But um, my mom raised me. I feel way more Dominican than anything ever in this world. I'm Dominican. But I have to claim being Salvadorian because I clearly look mixed. And I feel like I've had to accept that as an adult now. Like, when I was younger, I used to tell my mom, like, Mom, like... You know, I'm, what do I tell people? People tell me I'm not Dominican. She'd be like, tu eres Dominicana. Like, ¿Qué tu Even you're Spanish. Yeah, exactly. Like, my entire family is Dominican, and I'm just the mixed child that yeah. was raised by Dominicans. How, so how do you identify now with these two different cultures? Um, I always tell people that I'm Dominican, and then they're like, what? You're not, you're Dominican. You don't look like it. I'm like, yeah, but my biological father is Salvadorian. So, like, they're like, oh. Okay, <laughs> I get it now, you know yeah. what I mean? But um, I do try to claim it as much as possible because I don't want to be one of those people who's, like, ashamed of being mixed. For sure. Like, I'm mixed, and... There's nothing I have to, wrong with that. Yeah, exactly, and I have, to, I have to claim it for what it is, but for the, like, future reference and for, like, documentation purposes, I want people to know that my family is Dominican. Yeah. Have you explored that El Salvadorian side at all? The most I did was, like, with my first boyfriend and his family. And, like, I was introduced to eating Salvadorian, like, cheeses and stuff like that. And, like, you know, things from El Salvador. But my mom did used to take me to, like, this restaurant called La Pupusa Loca. And she used to have Central American friends from church. So we would eat pupusas. And, like, that was my introduction to Salvadorian culture. Okay. Other than that, I don't know anything. Like, Damn. That, like, um... Tamales, elotes, I don't even know if that's Salvadorian, but I eat it. Tamales are from 
everywhere, honestly, because Cubans make tamales as well, and I know Mexicans make tamales, Mm -hmm. and each one does it a little bit different. Honestly, this is an unpopular opinion, but I hate them all. Have you? They're nasty to me. Have you had the Puerto Rican pastel uh, pastelenoja? Dominican Dominican. I maybe well when you say pastel, especially from Puerto Ricans, my ex's mom used to make a fucking. It's like a Puerto Rican shepherd's pie. Where it was like picadillo and I think mashed yeah. potatoes, and then it had uh, maduros either at the bottom mm, or on top. I know what you're talking about. But I also hate maduros, so I fucking hate really? pastel. Yeah. Okay, Oof. but that's different. That's like a past- like a big. But pastel. it's not a it's not a tamal. Right. So like Dominicans like make it with like different vivides. Mm-hmm. So and then you know they scratch the vivides or whatever, mold it together, put the meat inside. It could be pork. Puerto Ricans yeah. put pork and shit like that. Cubans put it. pork too, which it's I fucking love pork. delicious. You know, you put hot sauce on it with ketchup. I know a lot of people don't like ketchup, but it's amazing. We have it for Christmas. Oh yeah, it, like there's definitely, and my brother's obsessed. So when it's like tamal time, and in Miami, like they sell tamales like on a fucking really? cart, like outside on the street kind of thing. And we had a family friend that makes amazing tamales, and I don't know, it's just it's a little too the masa that they make it with. Um, yes. And I don't know if the masa changes, but I know Cubans <laughs> use fuck. I know it's maize. Mm-hmm. It's definitely corn based, and I just can't. I don't know. I feel what you're saying because, like, go, even me eating like a Dominican Puerto Rican pastelenoja, which is essentially a tamal, and eating a Central American one, it's two completely different things. Number one, because the Puerto Rican one is like made out of yuca or and platanos, and then this is made out of corn. If I'm not mistaken, I'm probably wrong. Apologies to my peoples, <laughs> but it's okay. The only person who listens <laughs> to this is my mom, so we're good. Mom, I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, so like, yeah, like that's the difference. So I, I've had like a, the Salvadorian one and like, I don't really love it, but it's all right. It's not, it's never going to yeah. be the Caribbean one. Yeah. Which is crazy. Cause at least all the ones I've had were made, the masa was maize. So that's why that just yeah, was what, what made saying. it like not it's great to slimy. me. Um, but yeah, when did you pick up your first camera? Um, so when I was much younger, I was like a preteen, I used to beg my mom for, um, disposable cameras. Like, we always had them around. Honestly, my mom had a drawer full of pictures. I remember, like... That's amazing. I remember, like, sitting in front of that little gabatero and, like, looking at pictures all the time and, like, feeling like I related to them. And I, and I didn't. Like, I was never in the 70s and the 60s. And, like, I would be so amazed. So, like, I felt like I've been into documentary work since I was a child. And I've come to learn that now as an adult. Like, you know, looking back and seeing things that, like, molded you and made you the person that you are. Yeah. So I was, like, I would go on school field trips or, like, when we would have events in school, I'd be like, please, get me a disposable camera Pathmark. And she would. And then she would take me to Pathmark to go take them and, like, um, develop and stuff like that. So I would say, like, you know, about, like, 10, 9 years old. And what was the stuff that you, like, did you um, immediately start with the focus on your neighborhood or, like, has that shifted? What did you first start documenting? Um, I honestly was documenting, like, my friends, like, in school, like, us being silly on school trips, like, you know, just, like, passing the camera around. Like, I remember one time we went to, like, the Statue of Liberty and that was, like, one of the last That's times. That's so crazy. That's yeah. such a cool field trip. <laughs> yeah, and, like, I wish I had those pictures, but I remember seeing them, like, years ago and, like, looking at them, like, wow, I remember this day. And, like, you know, there's, like, fingers in some of them or, like, someone didn't hold a camera, right? 
And, like, there's, like, a squad of friends in front of the Statue of Liberty, like, all posing. You know, this is, what, like, 1998, 1999 yeah. around there? And it's just, like, amazing that, like, my mom gave me that opportunity to, like, express myself that way. And I'm sure she didn't know that I was, like, into documentary stuff. She just knew that... You liked this. Pictures. And, like, yeah. I wanted to take pictures and stuff, but... Then, like, as the years went by, I couldn't really afford a camera or anything like that. And I wasn't taking pictures of my neighborhood or nothing like that. Um, I was actually too afraid to buy a camera. I felt like people weren't going to take me serious. Because I felt like everyone knew me as, like, the hood girl from Jersey City. And they were like, oh, all she knows how to do is, like, fight and, like, be tough. And I would, like, constantly, like, walk around my neighborhood. And I'd be like, wow, like, I wish I could take that picture of those kids playing. And, like, you know, have that memory forever. Like, have this picture of, like, this person in the hood. And, like, you know, just, like, document. And I didn't know that that was documentary. Because, to be honest, I wasn't out here reading art books. And I wasn't out here, like, studying photography or documentary photography. I just knew I loved history. And I loved going back in time. And, you know, so my, like... As soon as I got my first camera, I would say it was like four years ago when I was like, what? I'm 26 now. 22. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. No, maybe not. Oh, yeah. 26, 22. Yeah. Oh. Okay, fine. As you can see, maths like problem. <laughs> two plus four, maths. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> two plus two. Yeah, something like that. Math, quick maths, quick maths. There it is. There it is. Okay, let's, 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 this is getting weird. Um, so yeah, what is it about documentary filmmaking versus narrative or any other medium that you gravitated towards? Um, to be completely honest with you, I don't know how to draw at all. Like I tried painting, and I just it didn't feel fulfilling to me. I felt like I was doing it, and I felt like a poser. I remember, like, painting one day and, like, collecting. Yeah, like, collecting, um, like, these random things that I was like, oh, I can paint on this. I can do this. And then I was just like, it was never fulfilling to me. It was like, this shit, this is just paint. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, it's the painters out there that paint. And honestly, like, I feel like my second love would have been, like, working with computers. That sounds so nerdy, but I feel like I would have been such a great IT nerd. You know what I mean? Like, I've always loved computers. I've always loved, like, the satisfaction of, like, working really quick on a computer, like, coding and things like that. coding. But, um... Which we were doing with MySpace. Exactly. That's that's how I feel. Like, I enjoy that so much. I feel like it's also a millennial thing, like, a Y2K child type of thing where, like, you're in front of your computer all the time. Like, the internet was such a blessing to us as kids. Like, truly, I'm so thankful for the internet. And I feel like I would have done great at that, been great at coding or IT work. But I'm here with uh, doing documentary photography. I mean, I feel like editing and editing is its own world. But mm-hmm. coding and editing, I feel like they're not the same thing. But mm-hmm. it's that same sort of like technicality. Yes. That I, you could probably still be getting some of that. Yeah, exactly. And you're like on your computer, like you know, for hours. <laughs> hours staring at the same frame. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, I something that I really loved was um, you had, and I'm sorry that I'm completely is, the name is escaping me, but it was a documentary just about your area, mm-hmm. and you also had um, was it an art show about bodegas? Um, so the documentary you're talking about, I, I I did a couple of my area, but I think the one you're talking about is called Our America. Yes, where it's loved. 
thank you honestly that was like my first one ever and like i'm so mad at the shots because some of them weren't white balanced <laughs> judge me cruel world out there <laughs> judge me but it was the first one and like uh, i just wanted to do something on my area that's because like trump just became president and like all his yeah. hate speeches were out and i was just really upset at white people and i wanted to express the fact that my area is english is the second language you know what i mean yeah and i wanted to show people that the people that live in my area are very hardworking, and they take up a lot of our population and we can't send them to mexico and we can't you know push them away because they're real people so um I don't know. I feel like I, I love that documentary a lot, and a lot of people enjoyed it as well, but I did a white balance. That's my me being hurt on myself. Well, if it makes you feel better, it's because of that that really solidified me wanting you to be on this podcast and mm-hmm. me realizing that although you and I are going about it different ways, we have the same like ultimate goal. Yeah. And I loved the similarities. And you now that you've been to Hialeah, mm-hmm. like, I don't know if you also get that same vibe, but I feel like they're just so similar and the cultures yeah. are so strong. And it's, it's difficult to explain to someone who hasn't necessarily grown up with that. Mm-hmm. And how, like, I'm finding different ways to, and different things to highlight about Hialeah. But mm-hmm. what else are you trying to work on like with your neighborhood and how else are you going to incorporate it with your work so um winter time for me is like a slow time from in my life as a documentary photographer because you know some like people have given me ideas like oh why don't you take pictures of people you know in their jackets and you know you know since a lot of immigrants come from you know warmer countries it would be nice to do a project on that my friend put me on to doing something like that and I'm like yeah you're right but honestly nobody wants to t- you to take a picture of them in the winter time walking you know they want to go somewhere the warm they want to get somewhere and so you know I can't even bring a video camera out and like you know with a mic and try to interview people it's just not it's not my thing my thing is summertime I love spring and summertime because people are enjoying the outdoors they want to be outside, they want to day drink, they want to like have a good time outdoors, especially because a lot of these people, since they are from warmer countries, that's where they hang out, is outside, you know? Um, so where do I want to go with that? I feel like I just want to continue documenting the people in my area or like anywhere that I go to where there are people of color and like where migration is very obvious, that's what I want to document. And if possible, I'd like to travel, but I'm broke. <laughs> how was your experience at basil and especially you had a show so talk a little bit about, about um that. my experience was really nice i love miami so much i was at i was staying in the beach at like a type of hostel situation so i was sitting on somebody's couch <laughs> but it was really nice i loved it because i went out every night i went to the beach and like i met really awesome people when it came to the art um in winwood i felt like it felt like going down the shore. So I can feel you when you say that it like kind of went down the toilet a little bit, you know? Because I felt like I was in Jersey, like down the shore and like the clubs and everything felt weird to me. Like I'm not I don't like clubbing. I don't like going to places and like it's not an art show. It's more about like dancing and not that I hate dancing. I'm so contradicting. I don't know. It's hard to explain. I just hate the fact that 
we wait until the end of the night and then everyone's just really fucked up and then you're like waiting to go home with somebody i hate that i hate it's also very miami yes and like i just that experience kind of cringed me out because every time i was going out every night i felt like we would just stay at the club at night just to see people leave with people and i was like i don't want to be here for that like yeah i want to go somewhere and meet people it's not my fucking business exactly like i just want to meet really awesome people and i feel like that's my goal is to like network and meet people Instead of having to go to the club and, like, feeling like in order for me to yeah. meet someone, I have to go home with them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's, like, like that was my experience in that in the nightlife. But my art show was really nice. Um, I enjoyed the people who threw it. It was, um, it was a different experience. It was in Little Haiti, which is now called the Art District. Yeah. But um, it's just Miami's completely different than where I'm from because, like, at least... We have a city vibe here, right? Yeah. And over there, it's more like I had to cross this big ass highway to like go from one end to the other end, or like it's walk. It's not pedestrian friendly. Yeah, it's not all. pedestrian friendly, and that's what I realized. Where and I would like got off my Uber, and I was like, oh, like I thought I was coming to like a neighborhood, and like I did, I didn't know where I was going. He just drove me there, and and I got off in the highway basically, and I was like, all right, like I guess this is where this is where it's at, but um, it's completely di- it was it was different. It was different. It was a different experience because it wasn't pedestrian friendly and because everything was just like so like separated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's that's honestly one of the things sometimes I miss it. Like sometimes I miss not having the sidewalk to myself. Mm-hmm. Like if that sometimes you just want to walk to the, on the sidewalk alone. How do you feel about New York? I mean, I really love it here. Like, I've been here three years. I don't see myself growing old here just because I fucking hate the winter. I'm not even going to lie. Like, I don't know how you put up with it this long. Like, (laughs) winter can suck a dick from the back in all different kinds of ways. I feel that. Um, And it, not about it. But... There's just so much the hustle here. Mm-hmm. I fuck with so hard. And mm-hmm. I think the people that I've met here that have no relation to Miami are born and raised New Yorkers. Mm-hmm. And I love your guys' vibe. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, born and raised New Yorkers, like, just strong as fuck, down as fuck. Mm-hmm. And it shit just moves quickly. And I have no patience. And here you can get a job tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. If you want to hustle. Yeah, exactly. And the city kicks the shit out of you, but I'm a masochist, and I yeah. like getting the shit kicked out of me, and I think it's made me a better person. Yeah. And I knew moving here that I was going to level up. Um, you know, and it's funny because, like you say, like, born and raised New Yorkers, but, like, I'm an, I'm an adopted New Yorker because I'm from New Jersey, and, like, I live right across the river from here. Like, literally, I get into Manhattan in sometimes seven minutes. And I live closer probably to Manhattan than you do. And, like, the Bronx, people in the Bronx do. And it's just, like, I hate to call where I live at another borough because people have done that before. And it kind of has annoyed a lot of people from Jersey and people from New York. But I feel like where I'm from has the same vibe. And the fact that, like, I was raised in a family who only hustles and, like, knows that in order to, like, para superar, you have to hustle. And the fact that I've been living on my own since I was 17, I knew that I've had to have, like, three jobs at a time. Or, like, in order to make rent, in order to eat, in order to save money, I need to work. So I've always, like, when it came to, like, hustling my ass off, I've only hustled my ass off in New York. And I know it's because this is, it's really where the money's at. It's really where everyone knows that they want, if they want to make money, you got to hustle. And I love that. I love to hustle. I can't, I can't be free for too long because I feel like 
I'm not doing anything. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Absolutely. So, to start off, like, with New York, that's why I love New York. Because I get to be myself, like, however I want to be. I could be out here and I could wear... I got my titties on. Nobody's gonna care. Like, not not that I do that, but, <laughs> but I can. can. But I and can. And the options. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I I just love dressing like myself. Like I was walking here, <laughs> and some dude in his car was like, "You in your big ass boots?" And I was like, "Shut up!" And like we both laughed at each other because it's like number one, we're in the hood, but number two, who cares? Like yeah, yeah me and my big ass boots. And he fucking probably <laughs> likes those boots. That's exactly. why he commented on them. Exactly. And that's why I love New York because I could just be myself, free. Like nobody cares. In New Jersey, it is also very different because it's not. It doesn't have the New York mentality where you're just like, you could be free. Like there's so many freaks out here in Jersey. It's more like, oh, there goes a freak. That's look at her. She's she's walking down the block. She's gonna turn to the right. That's a freak. And, like, here it's more, like, comfortable. Like, who cares? Yeah. Miami, I also felt like people didn't, like... I Like, fashion-wise, I felt like it was very... T- like, the the people that I could relate to, like, I guess, like, the freaks, there was just a few of them. And, and I felt like I'm happy that I got to experience that because I'm pretty sure it's, like, much harder to find the things that you find in New York in Miami. Absolutely. Especially when it comes to, like, Goodwill and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I wish I would have shown you the thrift stores that I really fuck with. And there's this one shopping center called Red, White, and Blue. And then that one's like furniture and clothing and like a bunch of different... It's just massive. And there's other little strings of stores. And then there's another one in Liberty City that's a Jewish... uh, So mad you weren't there. (laughs) I know. I wish I would have given you a like, I remember asking you, like, are you going to be there? Yeah, it's no. I'm in New York right now. I mean, Miami in December weather-wise is amazing, but it's also it's just too annoying for me. I can't do Miami in December, um, and that's that's why I go in like March, April, May when I'm just so like the seasonal depression is so real yes. that I need hugs for my mom, croquetas on the beach. Girl, like, same. Like when I got there, I was so happy that I was like blocks away from the beach, and like. Granted, like, I was staying at, a, like, this uh, hostel situation, which was, like, three blocks from the beach. And, like, you leave, like, the little host, the little complex where, like, it's all Latinos who live there. And, like, probably, like, one white person who probably got that apartment passed down to them or some shit like that. And I go down and it's, like, I feel poor. Like, there's all the rich people are there, like, going down and walking to the beach. And I'm just, like, I, just, I was just so happy that I, I didn't want to come back. I didn't. And I felt like I wasn't going to come back. Like, it took so much out of me to come back to New York and Jersey. And it was, like, it was money. Money was, like, you need to go work where you work at. Like, your opportunities are in New York. Like Absolutely. I feel like Miami's where you go after you've made it. Yeah. And I, I would love to move to Miami after I make it. If it's not under the ocean. Yes. That's what I was just going to say, too. I was if like, it's not underwater. In my head, I envisioned that. I was like, that's scary. Yeah, that we're, I can't talk about that. Um, so, so what do you want others who have never stepped foot, let alone grown up in areas like Hudson County or like other areas where you've uh, seen in New Jersey, um, what do you want them to take away from your work? I want them to know that all hoods are relatable, mostly because of bodegas, which I really love. I love bodegas. I don't know how I would... I don't know how I'd make it in life without having a bodega. Like, a bodeguero, you know, a mommy, a papi, a ak, to, like, say hi to every day, to, like, where I could feel, like, family, you know? 
Um, I want them to know that much. But I also know that some hoods don't know what bodegas are. They don't have them. I didn't know what a bodega was. If, to me, it's a very New York experience, but it's a place where I feel ve- I felt very comfortable yeah. very quickly. Yeah. And I made friends with with uh, the men who own the bodega on ones on Caton. And they are my people. Yeah. And it's great. Even there was one night, my first year in New York, I feel like everyone's first year in New York is when you're like finding where you fit in in this city mm-hmm. and it's like a very high and low. Mm-hmm. And there was one night I was drunk off my mind and he, the the guy at the bodega, the owner, had his son make sure I got home. Yeah. Safely. Yeah. And it's just like that... You don't you don't do that anywhere else. No, you don't. Like I was just about to tell you a time that I was drunk and I was like in Bro- somewhere in Brooklyn and somewhere I'm pr- I maybe I was in Flatbush, but I remember it like being in deep in the hood and the bodega, like I went to the bodega and I was asking the lady like, "Oh, can you tell me like where I can buy?" And like I was drunk and I was going to go buy more liquor. And I asked I was asking her, "You know where I can buy wine, but like not at that place next door where white people own it?" And she's like, see, let's it. go down around the corner, da 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 da. And I like, I'm like, okay, but can I use your bathroom? And like, she looks at me, she looks around at everybody else, cause like, there's like different people coming in. Like, there's the hood people, then there's the gentrifiers, you know. And she's like, yeah, come, let me walk. So she lets me use her bodega bathroom, and I feel like that's that's big, like, that's but like, trust. <laughs> yes. So you know, I got to use her bathroom. I go to the liquor store she tells me to go to, which is also you know Latino owned, and I feel like that's that's what like the hood i guess like hood environment of being from new york and being from new jersey and is relatable like like i said walking here and the guy says you and your big ass boots and i'm like shut up and we both laugh because we're both hood and we both relate to each other and we're like all right you right and i'm like all right you right you know what i mean so it's like i i, I want people to know that the hood is the hood and it will always remain the hood doesn't matter where you go and if you're from the hood you're gonna feel comfortable in any other hood that you go to yeah do you remember when you first saw yourself in media or have you seen yourself in media i feel like the most relatable thing that i can say on tv um it's gonna sound so funny but hey arnold like seriously which hey arnold was it based in new york I think it was based on a different city. Okay. It, it was a made-up city and all but that. But it had New York vibes. Exactly. had the train. And and to be honest, like, where I'm from in Jersey City in the hood, we didn't have trains. But it was just, like, the city living aspect of it, it yeah. felt like my city. It felt like, oh, kids on the stoop? Yes, kids on the stoop where I live at. Oh, people outside playing outside? Yeah, people outside playing outside. And then another show I remember that had, like, that vibe was, like, Taina. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And like, even though she was like from New York, and you know, I I still felt relatable to it because it was a person of color, and like, you know, she was Latina, and her whole life was about like living a better life, like this um, the dream of leaving poverty. She was hustling. Yeah. And I felt like even though she was in high school and I was in middle school, I still felt like I had a dream. Like I had the dream of doing better for my family and like leaving the hood. And I felt like that's something that you learn from Taina. And I'm sure that whoever made that show had had this vision for us. Yeah. So when did you start getting into vintage and what are the pieces that you connect to most emotionally? Um, I started getting into vintage when I graduated high school. So like 2010. And I remember like walking to in the hood where I'm from in Jersey City and I was probably going to like the clinic 
to like get birth control. I was like 18. And I was getting birth control. And I remember like always being into 90s fashion. As silly as that sounds, some people hate the 90s. They're like, oh, you're so stuck in the 90s. Da, 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 da. I'm like, you have no idea. Like growing up, I loved the way my sisters dressed. I would be jealous. Like, la, lo celo, like, I've never felt lo celo que I've when I was a baby the way that I have, you know, when I saw my sisters get ready to go out, when I saw them dancing with their friends in front of the mirror, I would be so jealous, like, looking at their tacos and being like, oh, I wish I could wear that. Like, I wish I could have that purse. I wish I can be on the, in that video, the reggaeton videos. Did, did they keep any of it? Um, No. It's that so sucks. sad. Like, I remember my sister keeping, like, years ago, I remember seeing it, and she had, like, a, a Pepe bag that I found on eBay. Oh, my God. And, like, I was so in love with that bag, and, like, my sister would be so mad at me for going to her room and, like, taking her stuff to school and stuff like that, and I would try to get home before she did so I can put her purse back, you know, and, like, I just, I loved vintage so much that now as an adult, I feel like I finally get to express myself the way I've always wanted to. And it's cool. And people are like, well, like, and a lot of other people are into it too. You know what I mean? Um, when it comes to most valuable pieces, I'm trying to think about of anything that I have at home, like right now. Because honestly, I've donated so much because I am a hoarder. Like I hoard clothes and I would go vintage almost every other day. I mean, go shopping every other day for vintage until like my job situation became kind of iffy. So now I'm trying to just save money and be more responsible about the things that I buy and how I buy them. Although, like, I kind of go crazy because, you know, when you buy online, you don't see the money leaving your hand Mm -hmm. and you don't check your bank account either. You're just like, I want that. I want that. I want that. And like, I go crazy online shopping for vintage, which is amazing now that we get to do that because the thrift stores that I like normally go to are like always feel like I found things that are getting so overpopulated that you're not finding much things anymore. Like, yeah. you have to rely on the upselling of the internet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I have, like, bags of archived goods that I have, like, you know, like, Fila, Nautica, Fubu, all 90s, all 90s gems that I feel like are going to be worth so much money in 40 years. And For sure. Yeah. Especially when it comes back, back. again. Because yep. it will. Yeah. And, like, I'm, I just think about, like, the photo shoots that I'll do in, like, 40 years where, like, I'm gonna be a legend in vintage, and that's what I want to be. Shit that you can give your kids. I don't want to know. Nobody's getting. Nobody's wearing anything. I feel you. Maybe I'm kidding. (laughs) But I always thought about that. I was like, my kids are gonna love it, but I feel like I'd rather just like keep these things and like watch like the money grow because I feel like vintage is stock. Yeah, for sure. But I think something that I that your style or you're very open about. Um, talking about your style and talking about vintage and just seeing what it is that your eye gravitates towards. I like that it's not, it doesn't feel limiting to me and it doesn't feel like there are these people on the internet that you follow that have great style. And yes, they are very much like vintage only, vintage only, but like their vintage it's a little different. Like, mm-hmm. their vintage definitely has to have a label or their vintage has to have, like, yeah. a sort of obscure reference, which I feel like you're necessarily not coming from that same ideology. Yeah, no. Yours comes from just, like, a different place. I like what I like. Whether you fuck with it or not, yeah. that's fine. Whereas other people are like, oh, this is vintage Fendi. This is yeah. vintage. Which, like, 
I feel like if you even had those pieces, that was great, but I don't know about it because you're not like FF. Right. GG. Like, you're yeah. not like, this is the only vintage that I fuck with. Yes. No. Like, first of all, I feel like those people don't pay rent. <laughs> Number one. Yes. Or like, have like, been yeah. s- silver spoon, uh, spoon fed their whole lives because in order to buy like, vintage Gucci, it's so expensive. And like, I've caught my hands on, I have actually, yeah, like when there comes to things that I do have in my possession that I probably will never wear and I bought, um, because they were name brand, I, I have. I have, like, plenty of Dior. Like, I have Christian Dior sneakers. I have Christian Dior sunglasses, Prada, Fendi, like, you know, Gucci that I do have in my house. But um, I don't I don't wear it. But I do show it off when I buy it on the internet. Like, I try to take a picture and say, you know, like, vintage Versace and vintage this. But the only reason that I do that is to collect yeah. and have. Like, I, don't, I won't solely just, like, put a whole Dior outfit on. To me, it's the aesthetic of being vintage that matters the most. Or, like, the aesthetic of being, like, hey, this shirt was probably, like, not worth shit when it came out because no de marca, yeah. but it's still a shirt that came out in that time period. And it still has, like, references of that time period and was um, used, you know, to, I guess, like, explain the time period, you know, the pieces and shit like that. Absolutely. So, yeah. I do wear guest jeans a lot. So, I mean... Yes, I do. But still, there's like, I think you have, or I think you've posted like an Ed Hardy long sleeve before. Mm -hmm. And I feel like back in the day when Ed Hardy was like at the top, um, it was definitely a symbol. It definitely was a class symbol for sure. Because like Aston Kutcher, like Lindsay Lohan, Paris Hilton, they were rocking Ed Hardy. Mm -hmm. And now it, it made it to... Not right now, but after that, when it started going down, it made it to the hood, and then it lost its appeal, and now, like, you can see influences of it here and mm-hmm. there, but you have the Ed Hardy shirt, yeah. and you fucking rock it, and it and it works for your style, which yeah. I feel like these other people that are touting, like, vintage, 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 still put their nose down on it, or they, mm-hmm. there's still certain things that they put their nose down on, even though mm-hmm. it's just as cool. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just as cool when it came yeah. out. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's that's what separates your kind of vintage Thank for you. me, and that's why I fuck with it That makes most. me so happy. I have a Twitter friend who like sent me five boxes of vintage all the way from Nevada, doesn't know me from a hole in the wall. That's amazing. Was like... Hey, girl, like, I see you rocking the weird shit. Like, I'm going to send you boxes of, like, everything that I have. And he sent me the, a whole Echo tracksuit. Um, it's huge. It's, like, triple X. But I feel like I can either save it or cut it up and, like, re, uh, repurpose it. Yeah, repurpose it in some way. But I'm scared of doing that because I think it's going to lose its value. Yeah. Some, well, sometimes you just have to let it marinate. Yeah. Like, I really love a piece and I'm something about it makes me attached to it. But I don't know what it is yet, and I just like let it marinate. I feel, and then it comes to me. Yes, but I can't fit it. So like to me, it's like either I want to sell it in the future, I just want to archive it, or I can like sometimes I have like days where like I feel like I'm I could be a stylist, and like it would be so cool to style like a whole photo shoot for somebody, and and then I feel like babe, isn't that fake? Like you're the camera person. No, absolutely not. You could still be. You're allowed to like a bunch of different things. Thank you. You are absolutely allowed. And when, if you ever do, like, when when you're directing bigger projects and if you ever move from documentary and stuff, documentary stuff to narrative stuff, Mm -hmm. like, when the director, you're going to be 
having those conversations about costumes, yeah. about props, about the set. Like True. you can still invoke your style and your taste and people will have to listen yeah. to it. Like, can we? Because I, I love, I just want to work, honestly, like it makes me so happy that you work in production because I feel like we have the same state of mind. Like yeah. that, that's what I go to school for is to work in production, even though I would love to make my own films. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I love being behind the scenes and like looking at something be produced and, you know, something that's written go into action. Exactly. I love starting with, I love conception through execution. Like that is what really excites yes. me the most and like what thrills me in making it happen with my bare hands or like just having an idea and having that just exist yeah. is like a crazy, crazy thing. But I cannot wait until I'm at a place financially where I can say no. Yeah. I can't wait for that. I cannot fucking wait for that. I also, like, I want so badly to just be in a position to dictate the creative aspects. Like, And with bigger, uh, obviously on bigger productions, like, I'm not there yet. But even with smaller productions, like, and that's why making your own shit is so important. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so important because you need to be able to use that muscle mm-hmm. so that when you finally do get to that position, you're okay with saying no, you're okay with like trusting your opinion, trusting your taste, and your potential finally caught up with your experience. Mm-hmm. And I Amen. am just ready for that. So am I. Sometimes I feel like I'm not like the universe is like, no, you're really not ready for that. Like, I feel like someone needs to find me. Like, I need to be scouted. Absolutely. That's all I really want, but it's so hard, like, trying to execute that. Like, what do I do in order for somebody to be like, hey, I just have to continue being myself on the internet. Exactly. That's why I love social media. exactly what you need to be doing. Thank you. That's why I feel like a lot of people get mad at me, like, at my jobs now. Like, I work as a server. There's, like, a manager who, like, hates the fact that I'm constantly taking pictures of stuff or, like, hates the fact that I'm, like, constantly with the camera in my face, but it's, like... It's not really all about me. It's really yeah. not. It's more about like building my brand. Like I want to get paid for being me. Yeah. Like and that's possible now, yeah, which is it, insane. Exactly. Yeah. Like I want someone to be like, "Hey Abib, I like the way you dress. Can you please do this for me?" Like, "Abib, I like the way that these photos you took is like. Can you recreate that for me?" Like that's what I want. And I feel like in order for people to uh, remember me, to constantly have me like in there like wanting to check what the fuck I'm doing yeah. I have to be myself and continue to produce work that speaks for the brand that I am even if it's me taking a picture of myself in my outfit I feel like it's still important like I want people to fuck with me this is all you know what I mean yeah a hundred percent the internet does that for us what do you have any tips for a woman of color younger than us or like a girl of color coming up in community like like ours with little to no budget whatsoever, who just want to look fly. I feel like... Like, how did you make it happen? I would say just stick to your budget. Like, if you're into having a weird style, like, thrift, you can find really cool things there, even though people who are low-income, and I do see low-income people, you know, working or, like, shopping in the uniques, in the thrift shops... Because the clothes is less expensive there and they can find like their Hollister jeans or like they can find anything that's like now just like yeah. passed down. I would still thrift. I would, I mean, I can't say like low income people because I'm definitely low income as well. Yeah. So it's like I shop at, at the thrift store. I just make it look cool. 
What is the most underrated Dominican dish food-wise? Um, that's funny because I honestly, my friend, uh, she went to DR the other day, last week or something like that, and she posted Locrio de Pollo, and Locrio de Pollo is my favorite dish like throughout my entire life even when my mom used to make it like it looked really it was the best because she would oh, she would add like canned um what do you call those canned fishes sardines sardines in the locrio de pollo like it would be so amazing i know it sounds disgusting but like the oh, she would like cut them up so nicely like it was amazing or anchovies i don't know what the fuck it was it was something on the lake that you could oh, eat yeah, it could be anchovies but you could eat the little um no because the anchovies are tiny right and black were they black no it was more about like the bones like the fish it was it was sardines yeah had to be sardines and um oh man that would be amazing so what is explain the dish a little bit because i don't even think i've heard of it so it's just like um the cuban arroz con pollo Okay. But it's more cooked. It's completely Arroz cooked. Arroz is my favorite. That's crazy. It is it's my favorite. That's thing. That's the name of the first episode of this podcast. That's dope. Which is my last question and something I ask everybody, what's your death roll meal? Which I feel like you may have just answered it. Um, it would have to be, I mean, like, I, I could have anything. But right? if this is like your last meal. Anything though, right? Anything. Whatever you want it to be. Um... Probably, like, I know it's going to be so typical, but, like, but if it, it could be anything, if it could be anything, then I'm anything. not, I, like, do I have to go for the poor food, too? Because it makes Whatever me feel like I would love, girl. like, platano, like, platano, like, all right, so mangu de platano maduro, which you don't like platano maduro, but it's so good. And it's just, like, a lo, it's a lo pobre, but I love it so much. Like, I could... With a could fried be, egg on top? Is that with what? With a fried egg, and then, you know, con un poco de salami, but the salami has to, like... Not be any other malca than indubeca. And, oh, man, it has to be cooked so nicely and it has to be hot when I get it. And I can die happy because it's so sweet and salty at the same time. <laughs> like, in more, like, in Locrio, I know I had that so many times in my life that if I, like, the, that, I'll be happy dying with, like, the sweet and salty, savory taste of platano maduros with, like, the yemita del huevo. Oh, man, so good. <laughs> like, so good. And that's it. Do you have anything else? Any closing statement for the people? Closing statement for the people and for future us. We're gonna make it. I love leaving notes for future me. Yeah, we're gonna make it. Thank you for listening to episode four of First Generation, the number one podcast according to your abuela. This episode was brought to you by the countless hours I spend on Twitter, seasonal depression, and the Walmart Yodeling Kid. Hasta la próxima.